Chapter thirty four of The Widow Married, a sequel to The Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty four A Discovery and an Elopement. There was, besides Elizabeth, one other person of Mrs. Hubert's party who entered the rooms with a spirit preoccupied, and nevertheless awake in no common degree to a feeling of deep interest concerning all that might chance to pass there this person was mrs stephenson from the time she had met mrs o'donagough at the house of her father this lively lady had been labouring without intermission to obtain intelligence respecting the source of her newly acquired wealth together with every particular possible to be got at respecting the position and manner of life of mr o'donagough having an extremely clever lady's maid and a saucy french page who could have worked his way through a deal-board as readily as a gimlet had he expected to find either mischief or profit behind it having two such functionaries both very devotedly attached to her and bound in all ways to do her bidding it is not perhaps very extraordinary that she contrived to obtain a few hints which confirmed her in the belief that good mr willoughby's suggestion of a large fortune having fallen into the possession of mr o'donagough was less probable than desirable in short she came to the house fully aware that high play was carried on there and was much inclined to suspect that sir henry seymour's intimacy in the family was owing to this with a great deal of warm-hearted good feeling nora had also a little of that species of animated interest in the affairs of those she loved which sometimes leads to interference more active than judicious most women loving and trusting a husband as completely as she loved and trusted hers would have confided all their suspicions to him and trusted to his management the delicate task of discovering whether the man she had wished to see the husband of her niece was undeserving this happiness either from his being a gambler or an inconstant but no mrs stephenson very greatly preferred managing the whole matter herself and excepting her maid and her page no living being had the slightest suspicion of what she had got in her head for a short time after seymour and elizabeth had stood up side by side for the purpose of walking about a little and talking a good deal to the various airs of a quadrille mrs stephenson took the trouble of moving from one side of the room to the other and back again and then a little on one side and then a little on the other in order to ascertain whether they appeared to be on the same sort of terms together which she had formerly remarked with so much satisfaction it was not very long before she became perfectly satisfied on this point and then she determined to take advantage of having completely separated herself from her party in order to penetrate to the card-room and make her own observations upon what she might find there without being interrupted by anybody the crowd that filled the rooms and which at that time was at its height prevented this manoeuvre from being remarked by any individual of her own party frederick was not there for mr o'donagough having long ago ascertained that he was not a playing man had gradually as his connection increased with those who were made himself less agreeable and less observant so that the acquaintance begun at brighton would have been a decided bore in london had it not tacitly died away by mutual concert without any interruption whatever therefore the enterprising nora made her way across the first room through the second and into the third till she found herself within a few feet of mr o'donagough mr ronaldson their snug little table and their very quiet game of piquet she perceived a considerable quantity of gold upon the table which surprised her not but it did surprise her to observe that it was the simple-looking young man who constantly won every game while her strongly suspected acquaintance mr o'donagough as constantly lost without manifesting any symptom of vexation or indeed of emotion of any kind beside mr ronaldson and immediately opposite o'donagough stood mr foxcroft 
to mrs stevenson this gentleman was totally a stranger nor would his appearance in any way have attracted her attention had she not observed that a slight smile which he sought to conceal by passing his hand across his mouth was perceptible each time that the elder gentleman counted over a handful of sovereigns to the younger one she was quite sure too by the direction of the eyes of both that whatever thoughts produced this smile were in common between mr o'donagough and the gaunt figure from whom it proceeded though nothing in the slightest degree approaching to an answering smile could be perceived on the well-regulated features of the former it was just as she had observed this for the third time and that some vague notion not altogether unlike the truth was growing into very shrewd suspicion in the mind of mrs stephenson that she felt her arm touched by some one beside her and looking round perceived elizabeth peters staring at mr o'donagough very earnestly while at the same time she was calling her attention with more familiarity than their acquaintance warranted i beg your pardon mrs stephenson she said but will you be so kind as to tell me the name of that gentleman opposite it is the master of the house mr o'donagough o'donagough repeated miss peters in a cautious whisper indeed mrs stephenson that is not his real name at any other time it is possible that this abrupt contradiction from a person very nearly a stranger to her might have obtained from mrs stephenson a look of offended surprise and nothing more but in the present state of her mind nothing could be more certain of commanding her attention than such a communication as this she immediately passed her arm under that of miss peters and silently drew her through the crowd till they reached the landing-place on the top of the stairs there comparatively speaking they were alone and mrs stephenson after mounting a step or two of the ascending flight for greater security turned to her surprised companion and said in a tone of the deepest interest tell me miss peters for mercy's sake tell me instantly what it is you mean by the words you just now spoke to me i mean mrs stephenson that unless i am a great deal more mistaken than ever i was in my whole life before that person who you say is the master of the house is major allen a man that i knew very well at clifton very nearly twenty years ago never certainly did any lady in the act of weaving a romance and elucidating a mystery receive a piece of intelligence more well timed or more completely german to the subject of her thoughts my dear miss peters she exclaimed catching the hand of her companion and fervently clasping it are you indeed convinced fully convinced of the truth of what you now assert it is no idle curiosity which makes me ask you this your answer is of real importance indeed mrs stephenson i am and i would not say it unless i was quite sure but how can we account for no other persons having recognized him did not agnes know that major allen and i well remember hearing mr stephenson and the general also talk over that same season at clifton of which you must now be speaking and naming him in a manner that proved they must have known him personally i think miss peters that it is impossible it is not impossible at all mrs stephenson replied elizabeth peters i well remember that neither agnes nor either of the gentlemen you name ever spoke to him at all whereas i was the person to whom he always addressed himself i was very young then and did not find out till afterwards that he was not so gentlemanlike a person as he pretended to be but i was more with my aunt barnaby than any of them and this man was certainly making love to her though it did not come to anything then you may depend upon it that what i say is true i remember every feature in his face but most particularly i remember a wart that he has on the left temple which the wig that he now wears is intended i suppose to cover but while i stood looking at him he wiped his forehead with his pocket-handkerchief and just pushed back the hair so that i saw it perfectly i was very sure it was major allen before that but of course i could not have any doubt afterwards 
and he calls himself allan o'donagough exclaimed mrs stephenson in the softest of whispers and suddenly feeling perfectly convinced of the fact nothing was ever so fortunate as my meeting you here my dear miss peters you will not i am sure refuse to assist me in the project i am bent upon of completely unmasking this detestable man it would be a very righteous thing to do it even without any personal motive but i have many will you then return with me to the card-room remain close to me and without attracting attention even by a whisper let us both carefully watch what is going on you have already proved that you have a keen eye i am not quite blind myself and with your help and that of my eye-glass i fully expect to see something worth noting exceedingly well pleased to find herself of more consequence than usual elizabeth peters expressed her readiness to do anything that mrs stephenson wished and once more linked arm in arm they re-entered the card-room together by the time they recovered their position near the little piquet-table a murmur about going down to supper began to make itself heard and a movement was already perceptible among the crowd silently pressing the arm of her companion mrs stephenson very skilfully fell back as if pressed upon by the passing throng and ensconced herself and miss peters in a draperied recess which contained a sofa and which might by letting the curtains drop be made exactly to correspond in appearance with the one window of the apartment giving to the irregular room the advantageous effect of two windows instead of one and a niche during the long consultations which had been held between mrs o'donagough and her friend louisa concerning the most advantageous manner of setting off her beautiful rooms for this great occasion nothing had detained them so long as this puzzling recess miss louisa was very strongly of the opinion that the general effect of the three rooms altogether would be a great deal indeed more grand by making it appear that there were two regular handsome windows in the card-room whereas mrs o'donagough herself remembering perhaps the days of silverton and captain tate declared that nothing could look so inviting as that pretty sofa with the draperies festooned before it at length the amiable wife exclaimed we will ask donny about it and miss louisa was accordingly dispatched to the study to invite the master of the house to the consultation well mr o d what do you say to it demanded his wife after fairly stating the pros and cons it had much better look like a window at once my dear he replied i don't want people to be tempted as you call it into sitting in this room at all nobody can enjoy a game at cards unless the room is quiet and though i know just at first that the people will be pushing in and out i am determined to have a quiet hour or two after supper and i shall just lock the door you may depend upon it that is just as you please my dear answered his wife gaily by that time all the people will have seen that we have got three rooms and of course that's all i care about it very well then that's all right but i'd rather you would make the recess look merely like a window if you can and so the discussion ended mrs o'donagough very obediently arranging the curtains of the window and the recess exactly alike but about half an hour before the company began to arrive while mr o'donagough was giving some last instructions to foxcroft in the library and while the two miss perkinses and patty were still indulging in some last looks last pins and last pinches before their looking-glasses above the highly delighted mistress of the fete beguiled those moments of expectation by walking backwards and forwards through what she loved to call her suite of rooms and pushing a bench an inch one way and pulling a chair an inch that in the idle attempt to improve what her heart told her was already perfect 
in the course of these repeated promenades it occurred to her that the appearance both of the real window and the fictitious one would be greatly more elegant were their draperies partially drawn up disclosing in the one case a small portion of a coloured blind which she greatly admired and in the other a very slight peep into her beloved recess which though not sufficient to induce anybody to penetrate its darkness nevertheless might give the idea of some addition to the extent of which she was so particularly proud this last improvement completed her labours of preparation for the three ladies from above entered the room immediately after and their admiration of her and her rooms and her admiration of them and their dresses left no time for any more finishing touches before the company began to arrive it was then into this dark recess that mrs stephenson and her assistant conspirators slid unobserved of any during the interesting moment when all but the piquet players were pressing forward to supper a slight touch of the finger caused one of the curtains to drop entirely and behind this shelter they seated themselves having by the partial elevation of the other a perfect view of the persons whose proceedings they were about to watch they heard mr ronaldson's petition for supper and mr o'donagough's answer to it they saw the tray worth having brought in by the intelligent-looking richardson they saw mr foxcroft the only individual left in the room besides themselves and the players quietly lock both the doors and then assume to himself the office of butler which he performed with so much zealous gaiety that one flask of champagne was finished and another begun before he attempted to eat or drink anything himself neither did mr o'donagough share largely in the conviviality of the moment he professed himself to be quite out of heart from his infernal beating swore that he had never met with any one so completely his master before but declared that if he sat up all night and lost his last shilling he would not give in mr ronaldson whose head was not very capable of bearing steadily either his good fortune or the good wine was beginning to grow loquacious when o'donagough perceiving that the champagne had done all the work he wanted from it at least for the present brought back the attention of the young man to the business part of the entertainment by saying now ronaldson have at you again double or quits double the whole amount of my confounded losses or quits do you agree to be sure i do replied the young man with a jovial laugh what do you take me for for a very honest fellow ronaldson who knowing he has got the advantage in play is willing to let his adversary take a chance from luck just put the tray back upon the other table foxcroft we shall have no more whist to-night i dare say foxcroft obeyed and then placed himself as before behind ronaldson and precisely opposite to o'donagough it was then that mrs stephenson whose interest in the scene passing before her was now worked up to a point that made her utterly forgetful of the awkwardness of her own situation it was now for the first time that she began to comprehend fully the value if not exactly the nature of the telegraphic signs made by mr foxcroft for the benefit of mr o'donagough it was quite impossible unless he had turned himself completely round that ronaldson could even be conscious of mr foxcroft being near him while on the other hand not a glance of the eye or a motion of the finger could escape being seen by o'donagough and that so distinctly that the mere act of raising his eyes for an instant was all that was required to obtain all the information which it was the purpose of mr foxcroft to convey mrs stephenson felt as she said afterwards that she would willingly have staked her own life and almost that of one of her children upon the issue of that game nor would there in truth have been any great risk in doing so the event as all must anticipate was in favour of mr o'donagough who as soon as it was ended said very composedly well then ronaldson now we start fair again i have had a tremendous beating nevertheless nine games to three 
however i scorn to show a white feather if i lose my devonshire estates must pay for it if you will i am ready to play you again for the same amount as i have now won and i will tell you what i will do besides for i can't endure the idea of turning craven merely because i have met with a better player than myself i will go on with you for six games just write it down foxcroft i will go on with you for six games double or quits every time and rather than let you count me a craven i would go on for a dozen so only i think we shall have had enough of it by that time and the party will be broke up and we shall all be ready to go to bed do you agree to it poor ronaldson who at the freshest hour of the morning would hardly have been capable of judging accurately of the nature and extent of the proposition now offered to him was at this moment as utterly incapable of doing so as if his age had amounted to one lustre only instead of five with a laugh that was very nearly that of imbecility he rubbed his hands and repeated again and again done 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 another and another game was then played of course with the same result as the last the young man's purse and well-stored pocket-book were by that time exhausted upon which foxcroft brought forth writing materials and the half-sobered half-stultified ronaldson set his hand at the termination of the next game to the acknowledgment of an enormous debt mrs stephenson's position now became extremely painful though perfectly certain of the nefarious nature of the transaction that was going on before her eyes she began as her embarrassment increased and her spirits sank to doubt whether she would be able to prove it to others in such a manner as to exonerate the unfortunate young man from the effects of his folly if not she was conscious that in thus quietly looking on and suffering their play to proceed she was making herself a party to the poor victim's ruin a moment's calculation sufficed to show her that the stake if again doubled at the monstrous amount to which it had reached would of itself constitute a large fortune and this again had to be doubled and the amount doubled yet again before the match which she had heard agreed for could be finished as to any change of fortune in the event of the games being played she felt perfectly assured that it could not occur and thus if her fears as to the value of her own evidence were well grounded she should be doomed unless she summoned courage to interfere to see a vast robbery committed which it was most certainly at the present moment in her power to prevent so earnestly had her attention been fixed upon the events of the card-table from the time of her entering the recess that she had paid no attention to the sounds proceeding from the ball-room but she now as the fourth game of the match was rapidly progressing to its conclusion listened attentively and became convinced that though the music had not ceased the company were departing she heard many names called upon the stairs a door to which stood open in the middle room and thus at intervals permitted the sounds to reach her despite the closed doors of the card-room the idea that she might if she lingered longer outstay her own party and cause them thereby the most serious alarm as well as place herself and miss peters in a situation the most painfully embarrassing sufficed to screw her courage to the fitting point and as mr ronaldson at the end of a deal said in a trembling voice i am forty-five to your ninety o'donagough and the deal is yours just as these boding words reached her ears she started up and seizing her companion by the arm drew her with her across the room overturning two chairs in her progress and on reaching the door the key of which readily obeyed her hand she turned and said in a voice much more distinct than she herself hoped for play no more young man we have watched the game and know that you have been cheated throw down your cards and play no more your promissory note is not worth a farthing for we can both witness to the manner in which it was won mr ronaldson had sprung from his chair the moment the two ladies had become visible and standing aside to let them pass stared much after the manner he might have done had he seen a spectre 
mr foxcroft who knew neither of the ladies by sight flew to the door with some vague hope of preventing their going out and whether he thought they might be subsequently pushed up the chimney or thrown out of the window he probably did not know himself at the moment but whatever his projects might have been they were rendered abortive by the door having yielded to the hand of mrs stephenson before he reached it mr o'donagough himself sat immovable nor would it have been easy to perceive from his countenance that anything very remarkable had happened the triumph of perceptibly shaking his philosophy remained for his old acquaintance elizabeth peters who recovering her courage the moment she saw the light streaming in upon them from the now fast thinning rooms forcibly drew back mrs stephenson a step or two and while several passers-by entered from curiosity pronounced very distinctly as she fixed her eyes upon his face i should like to know sir why it is that you go by a false name your name is allen at least you were always called major allen at clifton and that you know as well as i on hearing this and on seeing the many eyes which were by this time fixed upon him the bold spirit of the umquile o'donagough now again major allen was so far moved that he rose from his chair and taking advantage of his accurate local knowledge left the room by a side door which led to a back staircase and was no more heard of that night even the short moment occupied by these startling words of miss peters was sufficient for the drawing together so many of the remaining guests around the door of the card-room that something like a crowd appeared to surround it as the two ladies still pale and strongly agitated passed through it their only object was now to find some member of their own party who might assist their retreat from the scene in which they had played so strange a part but her first glance at the rooms made mrs stephenson exclaim they are gone gracious heaven what terror must frederick be enduring on reaching home and not finding me great indeed was her delight when she perceived general hubert approaching with hasty steps towards the spot where many voices were already discussing the adventure which nobody understood but which everybody was endeavouring to explain thank heaven he exclaimed eagerly receiving the hand which the trembling nora held out to him what does all this mean where have you been hid we have been looking for you in every direction for above an hour frederick is just gone for the second time to see if you have reached home i have guessed it all but for mercy's sake ask no questions now replied mrs stephenson take me away dear general take us both away we have both suffered together we have been shut up looking on a horrid scene for hours yet now it is over i am thankful that we had courage to act as we have done but take us away i implore you if we go now my dear nora replied the general inexpressibly puzzled by her words but convinced that it was no time to ask for explanation if we go now frederick will again miss you agnes is still in the other room nothing could persuade her to leave the house till she was convinced that you were not in it if you will sit down quietly with her for a few minutes stephenson will return and i am sure it will be better for you both miss peters does not look so deadly pale as you do but i feel her arm trembling like your own while this was said the general supported the two ladies whose steps very unaffectedly faltered across the room which divided the card-room from the principal drawing-room but on reaching the door of it instead of finding the quiet he had offered them they were met by a scene which rendered anything like tranquillity in the neighbourhood of it quite impossible standing in the middle of the room was mrs o'donagough with hands clasped head-dress dishevelled and her breast heaving with convulsive sobs beside her stood miss louisa perkins with a pocket-handkerchief at her eyes 
while with the exception of one silent group which occupied a sofa in a distant corner every individual not making part of the crowd now in possession of the card-room stood around her listening to her lamentations and occasionally uttering a word or two of what seemed very unmeaning consolation she is gone she is eloped heaven only knows where and for what where is her father he has got his hands full i dare say but for mercy's sake let somebody go and bring foxcroft to me he shall go oh dear oh dear where shall he go where shall i send him i have no more idea than the child unborn but i am sure and positive as i stand here that it is that horrid vile yellow man with the black whiskers that has taken her does nobody know such a person as don tornorino or tornapino or some such name as that wasn't it louisa dear darling good-for-nothing creature as she is i saw her waltzing away like one possessed with him and when i asked her how he came to be here for goodness knows i never asked him she answered dear wicked clever creature in her own droll way never you mind that mamma here he is and that's enough oh dear oh dear if he does not turn out to be a man of rank and fortune i shall die and break my heart i know i shall such were the sounds that from the crested pride of the unfortunate mrs o'donagough poured forth amidst a torrent of tears and a whirlwind of sighs interrupted at intervals but not checked by the interjections of her hearers how very distressing poor woman it is quite shocking i don't wonder at her being so terrified i am sure if it was my child i should die on the spot such and such like were the only sounds which broke in upon the expression of her maternal anguish till at length while the unhappy lady paused for a moment to blow her nose the gentle voice of miss louisa perkins was heard to say do you think ma'am that there is any gentleman gone off with matilda too never mind whether there is or not replied the anxious mother what can that signify compared to my beautiful patty in such a fortune too as her poor dear father told me this very day that she would be sure of oh it is too cruel of her all this and a great very great deal more in the same strain was uttered by the bereaved lady sometimes sitting sometimes standing and occasionally lying at full length upon a sofa and ever with the much enduring louisa by her side till at length every individual at all within hearing became fully aware that miss patty o'donagough had decidedly eloped with a black-whiskered don and that miss matilda perkins had eloped too but whether with her or with anybody else there appeared no evidence to show nothing but the consciousness that her interference could do no good kept mrs hubert at a distance from her really very unhappy aunt during all these lamentations but quite aware that she could render no assistance and being in a state of very painful anxiety respecting the unaccountable disappearance of her sister she remained with mr and mrs henderson who were equally anxious with herself silently waiting for the return of general hubert who had left them for the purpose of once more entering the empty supper-room and once more inquiring of every servant in the hall if mrs stephenson's equipage had been called much too occupied by their own anxiety to remark the absence of their hostess they were not aware that for the last half-hour that unfortunate lady had been employed upon the unpleasing task of convincing herself by various inquiries among her domestics that her precious daughter had most certainly left the house without giving a hint to any one of her intention of doing so and as the black-whiskered don too well remembered as the first-floor lodger in 
blank street had also suddenly become invisible it was but natural to suppose that he was her companion great indeed was the joy of agnes and her friend mary when their two sisters appeared after their mysterious retreat and greater still was that of mr stephenson who returned in a few minutes afterwards pale vehemently agitated and bringing the terrible intelligence that no tidings could be heard of them it was then that mrs hubert her spirits being relieved from her own great anxiety felt desirous of uttering some word of kindness to her aunt but this now seemed to be rendered impossible by the earnest conversation in which she was engaged with mr foxcroft no no agnes said mrs stephenson as she heard her sister proposing to the general that they should before they left the house express some feeling of sympathy with poor mrs o'donagough's alarm about her daughter no agnes you must not speak to her now it is not on account of her daughter's running away that she is looking as horror-struck and terrified as you see her at this moment poor soul she has heard worse news than that but where are lady stephenson and the nivets and where is your dear girl all gone home long ago nora replied mrs hubert then for pity's sake let us go too this is no place for us to remain in how kind you are to question me only with your eyes but tired as i am i am willing to tell you all our adventures before i sleep if my poor frightened frederick feels strength enough left in him to drive to your house for an hour before he retreats to his own the whole party were in truth much too anxious to hear all the mysteries of this strange evening explained to leave them any memory of their fatigue and they all drove together to berkeley square though five strokes from the general's repeater warned them that it was high time to go to rest but who said mrs henderson could rest till this most incomprehensible adventure is explained End of chapter thirty four